0: Welcome to PALS Talks Literacy, a podcast created for Project Adult Literacy Society. In this podcast, we talk about literacy in all of its forms and the impact it has on people's lives. Today, we're talking to Noah, a recent grad who did his final project on adult literacy in Edmonton.
1: My name is Noah Lapp. I'm an undergraduate at McEwan University. My major was in psychology and I minored in sociology. Last term, we did this project for Sociology 361, which was about social inequality in Canada. So that was kind of where this project stemmed from.
0: When you did that, were you able to choose different areas? How did you come to pals?
1: That's a great question. Essentially, how it worked is first day we sat down, our Prof kind of explained to us what the class was going to be about and what we'd be doing, so we all went in assuming it would just be a regular lecture style class, and we were very wrong. It actually turned out we were going to be having the amazing opportunity to work with some non for profit organizations. So there was about 10 different options for us. They were listed out, my prof went through them, kind of just did a brief explanation of all of them, and obviously PALS was one of the 10 so yeah that's kind of how the choosing process went
0: did you think that low literacy wasn't an an area that needed to be addressed in canada
1: no not at all so i can't speak for my colleagues obviously who unfortunately couldn't join us today but basically the main reason that pals stood out to me was because i actually hadn't really heard of or maybe considered Adult low literacy before. It's not really something I had ever thought of. You know, I kind of just was under the assumption, the false assumption that essentially everyone that, you know, aren't children had a certain level of literacy, regardless of what your standing was, what your situation was. And that was obviously a very incorrect assumption for me to have. Right. So when I kind of learned that when my professor was listing them, that really made PALS stand out to me personally, because I feel like literacy and adult low literacy is something that's often swept under the rug a little bit, if you know what I mean. Um, I do
0: know what you mean. I agree. And until I started working at PALS, I also didn't realize the amount, but also the impact that that has on lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that just, it really stood out to me. And I was like, you know what? I want to be a part of that. That sounds interesting. And I had the opportunity to work with four other amazing people. Like I said, it was really an amazing experience and I really did learn a lot. And yeah, it was, a, it was an awesome experience for me.
0: So when you said you had to work with four other people, because I, missed part of your presentation to us with your results I saw actually a lot of your results but I missed the beginning yeah did you know the people in your group beforehand or did you all pick based on like the project you were interested in
1: yeah no so that was kind of one of the beautiful things about this class and this project is that we went into this I sat down in that class that day not knowing one other individual in that entire room so there was probably about 50 of us and I didn't know anyone We picked our project that very morning of the first class. So I got together with these four other people and I had never met them before. i had never once talked to them. We didn't know each other at all. So not only were we having to work on this project, but we also had the opportunity to kind of build this relationship amongst ourselves as well while working on this project, which was a really amazing thing to do for this class. But no, I did not know them ahead of time at all.
0: That's really interesting because this seems like one of those projects that you will talk about yeah, for your whole life. Because exactly. There's very few of those maybe in university or mm-hmm. at college. There are some, there always are some, but that's really cool. So tell us what you found. Tell us about what you learned or what's maybe even surprised you with what you found about low literacy.
1: This was an amazing project just due to the fact of the level of research that was required of us. Our prof really pushed us to our limits for this, and because of that, we learned a lot. In our final report that we presented to you guys at PALS, if I recall correctly, just an overall blanket percentage that we found from a study back in 2014 is that roughly 50% of adults in first world countries do not have the level of literacy skills Essentially, there's three different levels of literacy, and if you're lacking in one of them, that qualifies you as having low literacy. So roughly 50% of all adults in Canada qualify in that, and I thought that was just absolutely astounding. I would never have thought it to be so high. So that was definitely probably our biggest and most important finding during our research was just kind of discovering how Big and immense of an area, low literacy is within Canada, and it's something like we kind of discussed earlier. Is something that's just swept under the rug. I had never even really heard about it before. Before sitting down in this class, I'd never understood it or really considered low literacy before. And it's such a huge thing, and it really needs awareness brought to it.
0: I 100% agree. I used to teach at um, a junior high. And we had about 70% L-E-L-L, so language learners. And then of the 30% that was left, there was 70% of those were low-level literacy. And I had never taught in a school like that before. And it was one of those experiences where you were like, oh, well, what do I do? But what's interesting is when you have individuals who need to figure out a way, they do. People are amazing. They figure out ways to compensate yeah so they may not be perfect so it's not a visible issue it's not something yeah. that you can go and see and go oh i need to help you because it it's in my face i can see it it's an invisible problem that you don't always notice yeah and if you are literate you're you just assume because it seems like everyone else is because they can hide it so well
1: yeah yeah and I think compensation was a really good word like trying to compensate for the fact that they are lacking in certain areas of literacy and you know as we learned literacy can really be anything it can be in math language even just today especially computer skills COVID-19 has been a real test of people's ability to use technology, right? Like even just here, we're doing this over Zoom rather than maybe meeting in person and having a discussion, right? It's just, it really is a test of people's literacy. And a lot of people, they just don't understand how to use things like computers and even Zoom, right? So the fact that they need to compensate for it, I think is really unfortunate and as you said, because people are compensating for it, it's not really as prominent. People don't see it. And that's it's it's unfortunate.
0: 100%. Yeah. With low literacy, what were some of the barriers that surprised you or anything that you didn't really think literacy would necessarily affect?
1: Right. So when we were doing our project, we tried to separate because we were on a pretty... Strict timeline. We only had about four months to really do all the research. And you got to remember, like I said, we all came into this not knowing anything about PALs or low literacy. So we basically had to become doctors of it, if you will. <laughs> a little bit yeah. silly, but we really did have to put in that level of research. When we came into this, we had no idea. When we were trying to split up what we would do our research on, because we had a few different topics that we wanted to cover in our report and our presentation, barriers and um, struggles is where we spent easily the most amount of time. So I could talk about this area for hours. So <laughs> I'll, I'll try and keep it somewhat brief, but essentially what we found that there are really two main areas of barriers that individuals with low literacy experience so barriers to employment and gaining or accessing employment as well as barriers to if they want if people are interested in cre- in increasing their literacy skills barriers to accessing those um, resources. So something like PALS, right? So barriers that people would experience when trying to come to you guys and learn from you and gain access from what you guys are trying to offer, right? Right. So we'll start first with employment. Really some of the biggest barriers that we found comes down to, we're living in a world right now where the base education that you need to get into the work field is increasing ever steadily. I just finished my undergraduate degree. And a lot of jobs in my field that I'm interested in actually require me to go and get more education to gain access to them still. Like I still need a master's degree or even a doctorate in some instances, right? So we're living in a world where the base education that's needed is steadily increasing every day. And that is a real struggle for people who are In the realm of low literacy, right? And have some of those struggles. That's the first big one, basically just base education. Another one is wage differences. And this again, kind of comes down to difficulty accessing higher level paying jobs. So you know, a lot of people will say fast food industry and stuff like that is a big one for really anyone to kind of break into, you know, that's where a lot of teenagers start with their first job. They don't worry that much about your education level, as long as you can kind of get a basic understanding of the day to day operations. But most of those jobs only offer minimum wage. And that's a real issue, right? Because you can't like, We know, I'm sure we can all agree that minimum wage today, especially in Alberta and really Canada in general, minimum wage does not cut it anymore to to live comfortably. A lot of people can barely make ends meet just off of minimum wage. You have to work two, three jobs. And that can be a really real struggle for people, real stressful, right? So in terms of employment, those are the real big ones. When it comes to accessing resources, for people to maybe increase their level of literacy, honestly, it can be anything. And this was a real interesting uh, area for us to explore when we researched this is because we didn't really consider that it's very situational for people. It's very contextual. You know, maybe one person is having a hard time. We'll just use pals as an example. Okay. They're interested in getting the resources you guys provide but they can't access it due to a lack of time. They have right. childcare. They are trying to juggle maybe two or three jobs if they're a single parent, trying to put their kids through school. They just don't have time, free time to come in and you know sit down and work on themselves, which is really unfortunate and kind of tragic, but it, it is a, that is a huge barrier to gaining access to what PALS and other organizations similar to what you guys do, Offer right, you know what I mean. Like it's just it's unfortunate.
0: When you were doing your research, this is yeah potentially a side question, but I'm no, very curious. Mm-hmm. Of course, time, childcare, transportation, mm-hmm. um, all those things would be. But is finding these different groups one of the things that you had trouble with as well? Because I'm curious with how how easy yeah. it is for people to find a place Mm -hmm. because how how do you advertise you put out things in writing you put out yeah like so we get a lot of people who are referred from different agencies we have a Mm -hmm. lot like the library refers a ton of people to us but was that something that you looked into in your research
1: a little bit yeah it's you make a very good point because that's actually kind of like you mentioned a very difficult question to answer because of the fact that a lot of advertisements that we do today and are just kind of standard are based on a certain level of literacy. So if someone it can't is. if someone can't read, then how are they going to be able to find and understand an advertisement for PALs? Let's say. So it really does boil down to almost hearing the word of mouth kind of thing. Yeah. And that's really where we focused is trying to increase just general awareness and increasing the more word of mouth level of awareness that comes about PALS and other organizations like this because like you said just advertisements putting up posters on the wall can be difficult and that's why we for so for our project as you saw Aaron we we did both your final report and I also made a infographic as well something a little more visual and easier for people to follow it does it there is still some reading elements in it because it's just unavoidable right like right You can't really advertise anything without having some form of written component. It's hard to create an advertisement or increase awareness for something using only pictures and visuals, which are more universally understood, right? And that was a big struggle we ran into. But yeah, so that's a great question. We did definitely consider it, but we really just tried to focus more on increasing the word of mouth when it comes to spreading the word about PALS.
0: That's I just wonder sometimes because of like you think, okay, well, we could put out a video or you could put out, but then I still have to find it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it it, it's difficult. So we talked with Monica a couple of times because Tannis, especially, one of my other colleagues, she was very curious about this very question, like what kind of resources you guys provide and like how you spread the word. Is it done through? written things like articles in newspapers or magazines or whatever? Is it posters in uh, doctor's offices even? Because, you know, a lot of the other unfortunate thing about a lot of low literacy is it comes with a certain lower level of quality of life and standard of living, right? So a lot of them require more access to health resources. So we were wondering if you guys put resources in doctor's offices and stuff like that. Maybe had doctors refer patients to that. but again, it, that kind of boils down to, well, is low literacy really a medical issue? Would doctors make those kind of referrals? So we were kind of curious. I can't remember exactly what Monica said now. It's been a few months since we chatted with her. but so I was, know
0: that we used to, yeah, but then when Covid hit, people don't want papers in their office. So that's a whole other level. Yeah. Um, issues that we've come into like another it's another barrier yeah to overcome, absolutely right because and they was, don't want touch points in their office so they don't yeah. want pamphlets or that kind of stuff so we do and we have some specific medical offices that they do have like do refer people to us and ahs is one of our larger refers but yeah. specific locations in ahs it's not all locations
1: in age mm-hmm. for sure. And yeah, that's kind of where I was actually gonna kind of transition next is another really big interesting thing for us when we were doing this project is it it was the COVID-19 element. Because mm. it's not so much a huge thing anymore. A lot of people I think right now are kind of pretending it's not a thing anymore, but that's another topic. But when we were doing the project, it was still very big. Lockdown, vaccines were just rolling out in full, rapid testing. You know, it was a huge thing. So that that was a really big area that we wanted to try and consider. We didn't want it to make it the whole focus of our project because, you know, we are still all hopeful that COVID-19 is not going to last forever. But we did try and acknowledge it as a barrier, right? So as you just said, it's harder to put out materials when like you said, doctor's offices don't want as many flyers and papers in their offices. They want people to come in, see the doctor, then leave rather than, you know, wait, wait in the waiting room, read a magazine, look at posters, whatever. Right.
0: Well, and even the amount of telehealth and video health that is happening now, Mm -hmm. you don't even get to read the posters. Yeah. Doing A quick video call. They tend to be a little bit shorter. Yeah. And you're, you're, you don't even have that that option. <laughs> I
1: know. So COVID-19 alone has almost made a barrier of it in and of itself. And it's a very unique barrier. You know, it affects many of these different areas, transit, employment. A lot of people are having a hard time finding jobs right now, or employers are having a hard time finding employees. But again, you know, boils down to that base level of education, Certain literacy things are needed. So, like we kind of discussed already, needing to be able to use a computer and kind of access virtual materials and stuff like that is a struggle for some people. So, COVID 19 is really placing a lot of strain in those areas. Yeah. And it makes those barriers more prominent. So, when we were doing our research, we noticed that a lot of those COVID 19 related barriers are the more prominent, at least right now.
0: Right. What would be some of your suggestions for how to make things more accessible? Um, Let's say when COVID is done.
1: Yeah, sure. So we'll just we'll just pretend to live in a world here where COVID doesn't exist. Hopefully we get there one day. Uh, in terms of overcoming some of these barriers, I'll kind of try and bunch these two together, accessibility as well as overcoming these barriers. So starting with overcoming them, increasing overall learner participation is really the biggest thing. So essentially what that means in layman's terms is trying to encourage those who are at a level of low, low literacy, encourage them to increase their literacy, increase, or encourage them to go out and try and, you know, better themselves, I guess, which sounds awful, because that's not just, we don't want to say that people who are at a certain level of low literacy they they don't lack in anything, you know, they're still people themselves, everyone has their own issues, but we we do want to try and encourage people to go out and, and work on that, right? Because at the end of the day, it is an issue. And it is something that needs to be addressed. So trying to encourage uh, learner participation is really the biggest area to overcome some of these barriers. Another. So one of the biggest ways, because again, a lot of Learner participation boils down again to their situational barriers, their contextual barriers. So let's just, we'll just use an example here. So let's say a single mom who's working three jobs and no access to childcare, has children. She is interested in PALS, but she just doesn't have the time or maybe she does have the time, but she can't get childcare, you know? So I think some ways that we can try and alleviate this is creating programs, even through PALS where Maybe offering transit solutions to make it in, especially for people that live on the opposite side of Edmonton. It can be difficult to get into PALS. Offering virtual solutions, of course, which I'm sure you guys have delved into in the recent years. We we
0: actually do both. We have transit passes that we have access to so many of them. It's not of course. So we do have some of those. And then, yeah, we offer digital for multiple reasons right now. That's awesome.
1: That's awesome. So those are two big ones. Uh, another one is, of course, offering child care, because I think child care is one of the biggest situational barriers, because, you know, a lot of when it because we are talking at the end of the day about adult low literacy, and a lot of adults have children, right? Yep. So child care is probably one of the biggest situational barriers, at least in my opinion, I don't know if my colleagues would agree with me, but I think so at least. So trying to offer childcare solutions is probably another huge area to maybe delve into. I'm not sure if Pals already offers childcare. Yeah. Um yeah, so um That's I think one in of our those
0: things where it's a great idea yeah then
1: it's difficult well, to implement.
0: COVID is one issue, but if yeah. you take out COVID, it's even you need to have a certain level of um, individual to take care of the children, right? Mm-hmm. You, you wouldn't want to just have a random babysitter. You'd probably want someone who was trained maybe yeah, of course. In, in the childcare program. And so then that requires, once you do that, and mm-hmm. then you open something, you may then have a staff full time. And then do we have enough kids who, and like enough full time? And like, it just, def- it's definitely needed, but it's a level that PALS can't sustain right now. Now maybe partnering with the child care facility, but unfortunately where we're located right now, there aren't any childcare facilities that close, but that Mm -hmm. is definitely an idea because if PALS moved in the future to somewhere where you could maybe make a partnership with a childcare facility where they could drop in, they could come and learn that's actually, it's a genius idea. And definitely something we should think about if we move locations.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing, right? We actually, so what you're saying, we talked about that a lot when we were doing the project because of the fact that, like, a lot of these possible solutions bring on their own problems, right? And that's what makes this so difficult. I don't think it
0: adds complexity.
1: Exactly. It adds complexity, or it's just like not, you can't make it happen. Like, there are other problems that come from that. But at the end of the day, like you kind of said, is it kind of comes down to like, is it worth trying to outweigh the, the positives versus the negatives, right? So trying to find someone to partner with, like you said, which is difficult because there's no one in the area. And that's the thing, like a lot of these solutions that we, we offered in our report, uh, especially as I was reading through it again a couple of months ago, I was thinking about this. A lot of our solutions that we offered are ones that, bring up a lot of problems in and of itself and it's a difficult thing right but really it just creating more accessible options really boils down to removing a lot of the barriers
0: this is fascinating talking about how by removing certain barriers Mm -hmm. you're adding a level of complexity to the business that then is it sustainable
1: yeah exactly so it wasn't interest when we were doing our project we did we discussed it a few times just kind of weighing those like one of those scales right like is it better is it worse pros and cons kind of thing like sustainability is a fantastic word that you just used cuz a lot of these solutions to these barrier issues it comes down at the end of the day to the question of whether or not it's sustainable for you guys, because at the end of the day, pals is the one offering the services, right? Right. Like we, it's, it's our job to remove the barriers for those people. So it's not really so much up to the individuals as it is to the organization. Right. So if it's not sustainable for you guys, then it's just, you're honestly, probably just going to make things not worse, but it's, to the individual, it's just gonna be more difficult than it needs to be, right yeah. so let's use um like you said, the child care I think is a fantastic example, just based on your uh context there so because you got it's just not really possible for you guys to get volunteers in because that was another interesting thing when we were doing our research is we learned that pals is mainly just volunteer uh based yes. right yeah so having child care then would that be would you bring on another like actual staff member because I believe there's only six of you actually on staff, right? Is it just the there six?
0: is seven now
1: seven but okay. there
0: was six when you did your report. yes
1: yeah. so so then the seven of you the question becomes do you bring on another member of staff to overlook child care, which then you know a whole other love mess of things comes up about that just based on logistics. Um, Or do you try and get volunteers to come in and do childcare? And like you said, are parents comfortable with that? Do they want an actual childcare professional to be looking over their children when they're working with you guys, right? So yeah, it just, it's a lot of these like logistical and sustainability issues that arise, but At the end of the day, the main goal is just to try and remove as many of those individual barriers that we discussed and try and get them out of the way, or at least try and alleviate them, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. Like if we can't get childcare, then make it virtual because we do have a lot of parents Mm -hmm. who can't come in because a lot of our learners, if they have children, they have many children like more than four it's not that they have like one or two and not that it really makes a difference if you're looking Mm -hmm. for child care anyways but if you have four children and you're looking for child care for four Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to potentially looking for child care for one it might be a little bit harder as well to find a babysitter who's willing to take on four or they charge significantly more like yeah, lots of ba- lots of childcare now charges per kid, which was a shock to me because I didn't. Oh, care. yeah. Because when I babysat, that was a million years ago. I didn't mm-hmm. charge per kid. I just charge per house. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, So I don't think that's a bad thing. It's yeah. more just that's another level of complexity. So a lot of them will do lessons during the day when some of the kids are at school and then the younger ones are napping. And that's yeah. impossible if they can do virtual.
1: Right. It becomes yeah. an issue, 100%. And you had kind of mentioned that you'd, like, I honestly personally would think that having more children would actually make it worse. Um, and this, again, kind of just stemming into my own personal life. So I work in pharmacy and we have a lot of patients that have, like you said, more than four children. And I honestly think that create that makes those barriers more prominent which is obvious to an extent right but like that's for like let's just say they have like six children so that's six schedules six different timetables six like it just makes things even more impossible right oh, and for then for sure. you guys if you're trying to offer childcare, how do you watch after possibly six children at once right just for one one person
0: just for one person. So yeah. we do try to keep our classes very small. So if mm-hmm. we do group sessions, we're looking at three, maybe six adults. Yeah. But if you have childcare for even just three adults and there's four kids. Yeah. If you look at, and I used to work in childcare. So if you look mm-hmm. at licensing requirement, that that's two staff minimum, depending on the age of the kids.
2: Yes. And if the yeah.
0: kids aren't of a certain age, now, if it's babysitting, it's different. Mm-hmm. But as an organization, I don't know, like, then there's a whole legal requirement of like, do you have to have a certain level of, and like number per kid? Like, how does that factor in? And yeah. when you're not in that field. So we
2: mm-hmm.
0: are not a fee- in the field of childcare to take on all of that childcare regulations and licensing and that portion. Mm-hmm adds a dynamic that like how how would you exactly
1: exactly so when we were doing our research kind of just to move on to the next kind of point building off of that though um, when we were doing our research kind of one of the things we looked into was at the end of the day I think a lot of and this kind of stems back to increasing overall adult learner participation I think it shows a lot when PAL will again just use PALS for an example, I know there's lots of other organizations, but PALS in Edmonton, when you guys show the initiative and show that you care for learners and for people, that in and of itself is enough. You know what I mean? Like when it comes to removing barriers, because one of the other barriers that um, I was going to mention was removing some of the psychological barriers. So a lot of people that are struggling with low literacy right struggle a lot with um, depression, anxiety, or overall just negative feelings about themselves. So I think creating a safe space is important right, and that I kind of wanted to just um, move on to that point, because I think what we were talking about is important. So. When you guys show the initiative of at least trying to look into, for example, child care, it shows that you guys are making the initiative. You know what I mean? And for a lot of people, that means a lot. And it shows that you guys really are trying and you really do care. And that alone increases the want and desire for people to say, you know what? These people care. They're trying for me. Let's give it an effort.
0: I think that's one of the things that we strive to do but also one of the things that we do really well Mm -hmm. is have that welcoming environment the safe environment not everyone because of covid has been able to come into the office or is comfortable coming into the office yeah um but even on Zoom or whatever, it just, it's, we have such amazing volunteers that really do care about their students, really do go above and beyond to help them with whatever they need. Yeah. Um, and then also just all the staff in the building, they people come in. We had one um, volunteer who was like, you know what? I think some of my students are hungry. Mm-hmm. And so automatically the next week, we now have a pal's pantry. Take what you can. Yeah. You give what you can. So and that's we amazing. Have food available. We also have some nice clothing here. Anybody who wants it or needs it, there's some in the closet. Yeah. We have, like the, being a literacy organization, we do have a free library. Those ones, you know. But we have kind of expanded quite a bit in the last few months with what we have available for mm. our learners. So we don't. We don't have childcare. Yeah, Because that's one of those hurdles that we haven't been able to overcome without having like a virtual option. Yeah, But being able to offer food now, and it's food to take home and make because we don't want to have a lot of stuff here with COVID. And
1: no, you understandable. just come
0: in and sit down and everybody wants to know how you're doing and what's mm-hmm. going on. You're like that feeling of community. And yeah, community is a great word. Is what we want people to know pals for that's what yes. we strive for yeah and that's and it's nice that you said that because
1: <laughs> well when we were doing our research and like really diving into the meat and potatoes of all this we very quickly came to see that you guys put in just an amazing amount of effort something that was really inspiring and when we were working because um so in the first couple of weeks of this project, um, I think my other colleagues might be able to agree with me that the first couple of weeks we were a bit overwhelmed just by the scale of the project, right? But when we did our research and came to understand PALS a little bit more, your guys's initiative and just overall motivation to help people was enough to inspire us to just put it in. And you know, I I I personally think that we we ended up doing some amazing work right and I was really happy with what we were able to accomplish for you guys but at the end of the day it came down to pals um and so again kind of just connecting back to the um accessibility and barriers discussion we were having um at least for me maybe this is my psychology degree coming out here but Um, I think really, at the end of the day, you could almost attribute any of at least the accessing PALS or accessing the organization's barriers. You can really attribute them to psychological, because if an individual has the motivation to get the help, they'll make it work. Regardless of what their barriers are, they'll do what they can to make it work. Obviously, that's not a blanket statement. Sometimes it's just impossible, but I think for a lot of scenarios, like people will be able to figure it out and then come and better themselves, right? And you guys really do try amazingly hard to create a safe environment and encourage people to do their best. And we saw that very quickly when we were doing our work with you and it made us want to do our best as well. So I think at the end of the day, you guys just increasing that psychological safe space, I suppose. Yep is enough to overcome some of these major, major situational barriers that we've discussed.
0: I agree. Yeah, Yeah. I am really curious. So I started at PALS in September. So at the end of September, actually. So Mm -hmm. you guys had already started and I believe had come in and met with Monica.
1: Yeah, um, I believe so.
0: Before I even started. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of knew there were people at Grant McEwen working, but I didn't really know what you were doing. Yeah. And that's totally fine. And I started out, like I said earlier, I was a teacher in junior high and high school. Um, And so I came into this like with a very much sort of a teacher understanding of literacy, but not necessarily understanding adult literacy. So my beginning part of my job was just figuring out what... What, what I was supposed to be doing here. Like, yeah. what is adult literacy? How does it work? So in a part of a way, I wish I would have had your report when I first started. Yeah. that would have been really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do the digital literacy. So as I sort of look through what your guys were doing and whatever, a lot of your solutions um, included having things accessible online or having apps for people or having yeah. like, these digital solutions. And Looking at that as a whole, it's absolutely one hundred percent right. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious because I'm doing digital literacy. If while you were doing this, were you thinking about digital literacy as being something that people weren't or don't have access to?
1: Yes. As because- a simple as a simple answer, one hundred percent yes. Um, because again, and I, you know, I don't want to focus on COVID-19 too much, but it's no. hard not to just because of how relevant it is to a lot and of what we're talking is when we're
0: about. This this conversation. So it's exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So because of COVID-19, the amount of digital literacy required pretty much through everyone, as we already discussed, you know, even just using Zoom or v- other virtual settings to communicate, um, those came up a lot. And it really was one of the biggest things that we focused on with barriers, just because of the fact of how relevant it was. Right. So yes, as a simple answer.
0: So making your answer more complicated. Here's where I'm coming from. I have okay. these amazing people who come in and they want to learn computers. And mm-hmm. I have had everyone from, I, my son gave me this laptop. I don't know how to turn it on. <laughs> I introduced the internet to someone they'd never seen it before. It was, it was that was a really cool day. Yeah, <laughs> Not gonna lie. that was you don't really. do see that
1: happen very often anymore. No,
0: most people know what that is. Um, we've had university professors come in when COVID started, and they came to us to learn digital skills so that they could continue teaching their classes
1: amazing which is
0: very cool so but my point is when we talk about digital literacy digital literacy doesn't go hand in hand it's not saying that it is an issue but it Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily go hand in hand with um the inability to read or write um or even with your math skills
2: yeah they're very
0: active in society very well educated individuals who literally have no digital skills and yeah. you look at computers and the amount of stress and frustration that computers and anything technological causes in people is amazing yeah and I mean it does it to me too like when our thing just turned off I was like are you kidding me like, yeah yeah hundred like an percent instant anger response which most other things that we have in our lives do not cause that but mm-hmm. technology has an anger and rage response that other things do not. Um, So in teaching these individuals, it's not that they can't read or write, but that understanding and the problem solving and the critical thinking required to do digital activities seems to them to be very innate in young people. And that's not true because you still have to be taught it. They're just taught it in school far more than like there, are not some people there wasn't computers when they were born, but most of them, it was that they just didn't have access. Yeah. Um, and there's people who come from different countries who never had access to computers.
2: Mm-hmm. That
0: digital part is such an interesting stat because mm-hmm. if you don't have that in the last two years, you haven't been able to be social. You haven't been able to communicate with other people. Yep. You maybe can't like you've maybe put yourself more at risk to getting covid because we're still talking about that because that's what's happening because you couldn't get your groceries delivered because you didn't understand how to use the app
1: exactly so when when we were doing our our project Mm
0: -hmm.
1: we we very very like even within like the first week or two we very quickly learned that in literacy there are kind of three main areas so it it boils down to language uh mathematics based skills and then digital literacy which is what we're talking about now So kind of like you mentioned, it's not, it's not like math or, or language. It is possibly a mix of the two, but also separate from the two. Right. Digital literacy is very unique and it has to be looked at on its own. It can't be grouped in with the whole, at least I don't think so. So like you said, you had university professors come to see you guys just to learn how to use the programs. So that kind of tells you, you can have like a crazy level of, language and math proficiency, but a very low level of digital proficiency, because they're all separate. They're unique from each other, if you know what I mean, right? So yeah. even though these professors may have a higher level of language and uh, mathematics skills, they don't know how to use computers, right? And yeah. that's a real issue that we're starting to see today. It had already been one, you know, um, I just, I like, I'm all just... Just, a, just about six years out of graduating high school now. So right. I'm still on the young side. So I definitely would say I'm quite proficient with uh, computers, which is actually the main reason I did both the uh, infographic and the report. I did all the visuals and putting them together and stuff. Just which are very nice,
0: by the way.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, just because I, out of my group, out of the five of us, I was the only one that actually understood how to do it. So even amongst the five of us, right? Like, the digital proficiency was just like they all know how to use their computers on a basic level but there's a certain level to do things further than that especially for work that it kind of it's different and i think how you mentioned that young kids today have a higher level of proficiency i don't think it's so much because they're being they are being taught but i think it's also because it's just kind of relevant right kids are interested in it so even i have uh four younger cousins. Uh oldest, I believe, is 13 now, youngest is six or seven. I might I could have those completely wrong, but either way, the youngest one is better at me, better than me at certain things when it comes to the internet and using um even just like an iPad or a tablet. He's better than I am.
0: Oh, well, for right? sure.
1: And that's just because, like, that's what kids are interested in right now, right? So I don't even think it's so much what they're learning in school, but it's just what's relevant.
0: Relevant, accessible.
1: Yeah, accessibility um... is a huge, huge portion of that. It like technology is everywhere. And that's why I think when it came down to um, creating those three main areas of literacy, Mm -hmm. digital had to be put on its own because of how prominent it is in our world right now. We are very, very heavily in the digital era where like, oh my gosh, I can't remember the last time I used what's a good, cash. I don't use cash for anything anymore. I only ever use my debit card, right? And like most people wouldn't think that that's a digital area of our world, but it very much is. I walk into a store, I tap my debit card and I'm away. I've paid for my, I've, you know, I, I purchase items like that. Whereas a lot of the older generation, even my parents, they didn't have that. And that was only like 20, 30, 40 years ago. That wasn't that long ago.
0: Even if you look back five years ago mm-hmm. or 10 years ago, exactly the, the use of cash has decreased immensely. And what's so being in the field that I'm in now, mm-hmm. um, I actually went to a conference on how you can do fundraising for nonprofits because a lot of the things that we, we used to do was yep. cash. Yeah. And Uh, it was interesting because they said Tim Horton's charity. So the kids charity that Tim Horton's does, I'm sorry. I can't think of the name.
2: I can't. They (laughs) lost,
0: they lost a million dollars a year when we got rid of the penny in Canada. Wow. People would drop their pennies into those Tim Horton containers at the front. Like when you're paying for your drink Yep. and your change was the pennies and they dropped them in a million dollars a year.
1: That is crazy to me.
0: And only because it's cash and now they don't have that so they were actually there when you go to Tim Hortons now you have to look for this but they have these tip tap pays yeah where you actually take a debit card and hit it right and that's not it's not just Tim
1: Hortons almost anywhere where you can just a little donation box they all have a little tap thing on it now
0: which is fascinating it
1: is fascinating it is And it just kind of shows you how prominent this digital aspect of our society is becoming more and more prominent today. It's, it's overshadowing almost everything else. Like, so even for example, um, we had kind of mentioned that you guys offer a lot of digital services and stuff um, for your programs, but like, if people don't know how to use, like you had that one who didn't even know what the internet was, it was your first time introducing them. Like, At the end of the day, I, I like. I would argue that as of right now, the digital aspect of literacy is possibly the most important of the three kind of main areas that we explored because of the fact that you, you can use that digital area to kind of work your way into mathematics and language, not so much because they're related, but more because you can a- gain access through the internet to those services, right? absolutely it's, it's just a, so really at the end of the day Aaron I think that your job at pals is one of the most crucial ones right now and That's I think what we'll continue That's to be what this so this
0: whole podcast is about really yes that I'm crucial <laughs>
1: <laughs> for sure
0: no but I think and I really appreciate that you said that not me specifically but I agree like I look at the digital skills and I think oh my god you mm-hmm. need to have this Be in part. And that's one of the things that we have started working on since I've come in Mm -hmm. um, is digital has to be part of L.E.L.L. It has to be part of literacy. It has to be part of the math program, because when you leave PALS, because the goals of PALS is that we will teach you we will get you to meet your goals but then you can take those skills and use them on other programs in the community that will help yes. continue to excel your progress
1: exactly we aren't
0: your end stop we are your start yes so when we send you out into the community to find other things
2: mm-hmm.
0: those digital skills so exactly. every single person who comes to pals and i mean we are trying to do this but yep. they need those digital skills it's one of those things that you just don't realize how important it is.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, and even when, so when we did our report and our project, yeah. um, Tanis was one of the main ones that kind of overlooked kind of increasing awareness and offering some solutions. So some of our main solutions, of course, like I mentioned earlier, was digital solutions, but increasing awareness. So one of our biggest suggestions was even the PALS website. It's, it's a little bit outdated. It looks nice, but it's, there's stuff from there that like, there was a set. Yes. Yeah. So there, I remember we, we sat down one class and we decided we're like, we should go on their website, look through and kind of get a sense of what pals is through your website. Right. And I don't think it was um, representative just because of the fact that it looked like the website hadn't been updated since before COVID. And I'm not sure why, you know, like it it is what it is, but that was one of our biggest suggestions is like, get on there and try and update some of those digital uh, resources just on your website alone. Right. Um, Like there was events listed on there from back in 2019 and it's like, it's 2021 now. Right.
0: Um, And it's now 2022 and there's still probably on there. Mm -hmm. So my very first day they were like, oh, and we're getting a website update here's our companies to choose from sort of thing. So that was my yeah. very first day here. And I will say, I keep saying this, that our new website is coming. Hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, it yeah. will be there. Um, and the new website does, it's much more accessible. Mm-hmm. But even in the meantime, we've started these podcasts, which gives people just another way to sort of find out information. But we're certainly not. Like the biggest podcast in any way, shape, or form. But also, <laughs> um, we started our YouTube channel and I do oh, wow. videos on how to do things in, like, it's all very much here. Watch my screen.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm
0: going to explain my little heads in the corner and I'm like, okay, this is how we're going to use Word to do this, or we're learning cut and paste today. And mm-hmm. um, we ended up spending January and February at home mm-hmm. um, out of the office just because of COVID, which we keep bringing up. Um, And during that time, I was able to pump out videos a lot quicker. So we were able to get a bunch of videos out just at the beginning of the year here. And now they're kind of coming out more slowly as Aaron figures out what we're going to do next. (laughs) For sure. Um, But yeah, I think that having that digital content so that people even know that, don't be afraid to press this button. It won't wreck it yeah this one and then showing people where that undo button is control z or yeah in programs there's a back like exactly
1: exactly and
0: those are key pieces of information because then you're not so scared to press mm-hmm. things and try it out
1: yeah exactly a yeah, hundred percent because that's the thing i think a lot of people are like you just mentioned afraid that they're going to break something And they're going to get in trouble for it or whatever. It's like, no, like that might've been how it used to be back in like the 90s when the internet and computers were first rolling out, you'd press one button and your whole computer would crash. But like today, nothing happens. Like I'm looking at my keyboard right now and I could press probably 90% of these keys and nothing would happen. Right. And like, even, even some of the keys, it's like, if I press and hold space bar, even here through zoom, it'll mute me which like is, it's not the end of the world, right? And I think that's what a lot of people struggle to kind of grasp with digital literacy right now is that it's not as intimidating as they think it is.
0: And I think one of the things that's come or will continue to come is that when you, we talked a little bit about the young generation and how they're just, it's accessibility, it's relevant. But I think because they touched it when they were kids, Mm -hmm. that fear at least for young people and yeah. including young ad- young adults, the fear is less prevalent, mm-hmm. but the older, there's definitely more of a fear factor involved in computers. And they're worried that they'll lose everything. All of their information will go away. And I'm like, but yeah. what do you have saved on here? Like, I know. Yeah. At not- the end of
1: the day, it's not, it's probably not the end of the world, but yeah, hundred yeah. percent.
0: Well, that's fascinating. I was just I always look at, and I think literacy in and of itself, reading, writing is huge. And having mm-hmm. a little literacy does have all of these barriers along with it. And it takes so much courage for our learners to come in and start learning. Yeah. No question.
1: Absolutely.
0: With the mathematics, we have a lot of people coming in, especially for the trades, all the reasons, but especially mm-hmm. for trades. And that's fantastic that they are coming in, they're getting the help for it. Those ones people get, but the digital I wanted to sort of bring in partially because of course that's my area, but yeah. also because there's an assumption out there as well. Like if I send you a zoom link, you're mm-hmm. going to be able to get into it. Yeah, And that's not necessarily true for everyone. And it's not even necessarily even access. It's just, what do I do once I press the button?
2: Yeah, exactly. How
0: do, make, how do I turn on my mic? How do I turn on my, um, my video?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And when you're, when you're teaching over zoom to people who need help with digital literacy, like one of my main things is like, everybody try muting your mic and then unmuting it before yeah. you start anything. Cause if I mute you so I can explain something, but you don't know how to unmute. Mm-hmm. That's going to cause a huge amount of stress and frustration later.
1: Absolutely. So, and I think that's probably one of, I would think your biggest challenges when it comes to kind of being the digital literacy ambassador, I guess, for PALS, hey, it's just trying your best to just really introduce people to using digital resources and really breaking down that wall that a lot of people have built up about how intimidating it is it's not intimidating it's easy it's simple it's intuitive and it's most importantly forgiving (laughs) there's usually a fix to everything some it does happen still there are things but it takes a lot of work to get to that point where you're going to completely ruin something there's usually a solution And that's what a lot of people, I don't think grasp, even like my own fiance, uh, she's the same age as me. And she is awful with computers. (laughs) She gets so afraid. She's always like, oh my gosh, I've just broken the whole thing. It's like, no, just press this and you're, you're back to where you were. Like, and I think so. I'm, I'm sure that's one of, probably I would suggest maybe that that's the biggest area that you focus on when you try to, work on that with people is really just breaking down that wall and then from there showing them the basics and teaching them the skills that they need right
0: absolutely yeah yeah because once they can do the digital like you said Mm -hmm. there is so many there are so many tools yep for literacy for mathematics
1: and that's exactly um, the thing i i like uh, have
0: that support
1: I'm a firm believer that we are moving into an area or a time where physical written copies of almost anything will no longer be necessary. And learning through that method will also be obsolete. I honestly think it'll happen within my lifetime. I could be completely wrong, but so I personally think that teaching someone how to use it kind of boils down to that. Like, do you give a man a fish or do you give him a fishing rod? Like if you teach them how yeah. to use digital, liter- digital literacy, then they can teach themselves how to do math and language. Right. As an example, like YouTube Skillshare, um,
0: Google's got Google, like, definition. Ex-
1: like the internet home almost today has I would say 99.9% of almost every form of resource that you could ever need. Some of them obviously are a little bit more sketchy than others. Some of them not maybe uh, as peer reviewed as we like to say, Um, but still the resources are there to get a basic understanding. So having the ability to use the internet and understanding how it works and to use digital resources, you can learn from there you can use that to build upon it's almost the foundation I would say
0: I don't know if you could have ended that better Noah (laughs) well thank you so much
1: it's been an absolute pleasure uh chatting with you and again it was it was an honor doing the work and getting the opportunity to work with you guys last term
0: thank you Noah for all your work and your insight we appreciate all of it this podcast was recorded on Treaty 6 territory. We respect the First Nations, Metis, Inuit, and all First Peoples of Canada whose presence continues to enrich our community.